Welcome back to Ranking 76, where we review and rank the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. And this is, I guess, technically the second episode we're doing on Black Elk, even though not much information was shared uh, in the previous episode. For those who are wondering, uh, Matt just did a read-through of Black Elk's vision, which, without a lot of context, gets very confusing, but will become kind of clear is that vision is a huge part of Black Elk's life, and it was, like I said during that episode, it was pretty difficult to see what to cut because a lot of things end up uh, being called back later in his life. So, uh, Matt, what are you? You actually know something about this person slightly. What What are your first impressions? Um, I know that he was sick at one point and had a very long dream. <laughs> Because let me tell you, and the fact that he remembered it is, it must mean he is a very smart individual. Yeah, there's a lot of reflection going on. We'll we'll talk about that in quite a bit of detail. I mean, I hope they're all interesting episodes, but I think this one could be interesting in like, he witnesses a lot. He's born in 1863. I just told Matt this before we turned on the recording. He lives until 1950, which is very modern. Like, we're up to President Truman on the list of presidencies. Uh, presidencies. He sees a lot, and he's in the same band as Crazy Horse and Red Cloud, uh, just as it's starting to pick off. Like, the man sees a lot. I'm assuming, though, based on his dream and just from reading it, I feel like they were telling him to be peaceful. So I don't feel like he's going to get into a lot of fighting, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's stop pretending to talk about it. Let's actually talk about it, shall we? Let's get into it. Let's get in. I've been trying to avoid that phrase. Thank you for calling me out on that and my my little ticks. <laughs> um, actually, I suppose before we do that, I've been uh, showing Matt some pictures. Matt, do you want to just uh, describe what... Uh, Mr. Elk looks like? You know, it's funny because the pictures that pop up, some of them don't even look like him. One, he looks old, but then in another one, he looks even older. Um, one of the photos, he looks kind of blind, but he looks like your typical, you know, uh, chief. Uh, got the big headdress on in a couple of them. Uh, some of them look very, very old. Can barely see what he looks like. I don't know if that's his brother. Um, but yeah, he looks... Uh, like an interesting cat. I don't see any like bow and arrows or any weapons of any sort. So yeah. Okay. Well, black elk born into the Logales Sioux in the Napata river country in, uh, in Wyoming in June or July in 1863, according to his mother, though some do dispute that he was actually born in December, but the December date is likely when he converted to Christianity late, much later in his life. But he is the first cra first cousin to Crazy Horse and reportedly has two sisters, though they honestly aren't brought up much at all. Uh, he is the third to use his bla the, the name Black Elk after his grandfather and his father. So Black Elk is born into a family of bear healers who have uh, are considered to be the most powerful in Lakota culture. Think of them as battlefield medics. Uh, they would tend to those wounded in battle, and they would come out with a bear claw and other medicines. And since healers and other medicine men were now considered to, uh, to be a divine calling uh, that was handed down to the next generation, there was little doubt on what Black Elk would be focusing his life on. One of the biographers that I use, his name was Joe Jackson, he reports that while most, uh, most Native biographers 
recall native childhoods as a form of peaceful Eden lost over time. Black Elk, uh, he was actually born in the same band as Crazy Horse, who was his cousin, and Red Cloud. And this is all happening during Red Cloud's war. His grandfather was killed when he was an infant, and Black Elk would recall his childhood as, quote, a man might remember a, bla a bad dream when everything seemed to be troubled and afraid. He would be warned on the Americans, also known as the Wysichus, that they were some sort of boogeyman and that they would later take their land and kill the Lakota to extermination. One of his first memories was actually from right after the Fetterman fight when he's maybe three or four years old. So you do kind of wonder if he remembered it or if he had been told the story so many times he kind of invented that memory for himself. But he remembers riding along on, a, on the pony sled with his father who was severely injured during the Fetterman fight. Uh, riding along and he was being carried like a baby as he and his mother rode on the sled with him. As his father recovered from his injury from the Fetterman fight, a young black elk would be allowed to venture away from camp where he would daydream and play. Some of the daydreams were powerful. Sometimes even black elk felt like he could hear voices or his mother was singing. Whenever, whatever version he got, black elk, uh, well, he, he became very scared, as you probably would playing out by yourself and you hear a voice, I'd probably run. I don't think anyone else thinks, I don't think that's an unnecessary or a bad reaction to it, but he definitely ran away. He would later believe the voices were the spirits that were reaching out to him or putting him to the test for the young boy who didn't know any better. These voices would last from age four until he was nine. While he's hearing those voices, the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868 is signed and sought to move the Sioux into newly formed reservation in the hopes of turning them into fathers, which I think we've all uh, seen how that turned out. The land was changing. The Transcontinental Railroad was soon completed. Buff American buffalo hunters started shooting the buffalo at unprecedented levels basically to the point of extermination. Black Elk and his family were part of the non-treaty Indians follow following a smaller and smaller buffalo herds. That is until he suddenly became sick. He would report years later, but that in the, in the summer of 1872, near the Bighorn River, Black Elk would begin hearing the voices again, telling him, it's time, now they are calling you. The voice was so clear and loud, he assumed someone was talking to him outside the teepee. He gets up and he heads to the entrance of the teepee and discovers that, again, there's no one there. When asked what he was doing, his legs suddenly hurt, and the day continued without further incident. The next morning, the camp leaves and heads west. Black Elk is doing fine until he goes to get a drink of water, where again his legs give out and come in incredible pain. He falls to the ground and is unable to rise. His legs, arm, and face are all swollen. He said that his face felt like it was burning and that his head pounded. His parents would recall would call for a medicine man, but because the sickness happened so quickly, there's really nothing the medicine man can do. He's already kind of slipping in and out of consciousness, and he really isn't able to diagnose what's going on. Black Elk is then put in a sled to ride behind the horse, or he where he bounced in and out of consciousness for the next several days. It's not clear to anyone if Black Elk will survive. In between consciousness, the young boy would recall a vivid dream of him staring out of a teepee flap where two warriors of Prout approached him from the clouds. They thrust a spear to him where the tip flowed with lightning. 
when the warriors landed, they said that the grandfathers were waiting for them and they needed Black Elf to come with them. He remembered looking back at his parents and starting feeling sad for leaving them. This is where Black Elf believes his vision started. Sounds familiar. Hmm. I was about to say, this is where Matt started uh, taking over the reading. So Matt actually has a pretty good idea of what's about to happen here. Isn't that, Matt, how does it feel to be in the know? Does it feel good? Yeah, for once. <laughs> I know what's coming next. <laughs> Uh, this will not be 13 pages of text, so <laughs> you might be a little bit upset by uh, just, I, I did summarize this. So again, if anyone is looking uh, after we go through this, I'm going to look more into like the representation and more than more into the detail um, than necessarily going over the entire uh, vision itself. Because you can tell by what Matt read was definitely Black Elk looking back on it years later in life. And you could tell that he had just done it over in his head ad nauseum to the point where it was probably just memorized. So the two warriors then took Black Elk and they were flying through the clouds. And Black Elk heard whispers coming from the grandfathers that the grandfathers were waiting. And they could see the messengers pointing him towards a magnificent bay horse. The horse spoke, hold me. He then pointed the bay horse to four sets of 48 horses, some to the west, the north, the south and the east now in the dream it's not pointed out but this is something most people are going to be familiar with because uh this is actually in the form of the medicine wheel the medicine wheel is kind of that circle it's not a dream catcher but it's definitely the circle i think most people when you think of lakota uh symbol symbols that's what you typically think of. The medicine wheel consists of a circle and a cross with colors of red, yellow, white, and black. The circle represents the sacred outer boundary of the earth and often referred to as a Sundance circle or the sacred hoop. Please remember the sacred hoop because it, it, get mentioned, it gets mentioned a lot in the next two episodes. But and it got mentioned, it was brought up like about 7,000 times by... The man himself when he was yeah. recounting his dream there is a lot of like the sacred hoop is broken the sacred like it just, it, it kind of interesting to see too because in his dream you know he talked about the colors and that's what they are and well and that's what we're going to go in so i'm going to go into the like what you'll notice the colors of the horses are the colors of the medicine wheel so sorrel horses are red there were black horses, white horses, and then a bay horse would be considered yellow. Oh, sorry, the bay horse was his. There were yellow horses there as well. He would have, without saying it a lot, it would have been obvious to him, like, the representation of it, that he wouldn't need to say the medicine wheel. But it's nice to, that somebody has pointed that out for dummies like us, um, that we can, we can see it. Um, so anyway... The medicine wheel, the outside, it represents the continuous ongoing of life and death. It basically starts at the beginning of life, and at the by the time it gets to the black, I believe, it, that's the end of life. So the lines are the cross in the center. The horizontal and the vertical lines represent the sun and man's sacred path, which cross the two lines indicates the center of the earth where one stands while praying. If there is a feather included, that just means that the, the medicine wheel belongs to Wakantanka, who is the great spirit. I'm not going to necessarily con like compare him to God because for reasons, but they're kind of on a similar plane. Like you can view them similarly. 
Um, and then finally, the four directions of the medicine wheel. As they are called upon the medicine wheel, they're often associated with the sacred color of each direction as messenger. It is a common expression of the color placement on the medicine wheel. It is found in a color placement and varies based on individual tribal customs. So you, what we are looking at, or I'm showing pic, Matt a picture of the Lakota medicine wheel, there's other bands of like not only the Sioux, but other bands as well use this symbology as well. So anyway, let's get back to the vision. So the white, now again, it is Black Elk uh, with, who is talking to a bay horse, and he is surrounded by 48 horses. All of them are lined up in the way of the medicine wheel, four abreast, and then kind of lined up back. So the white horses uh, were to the north, where their manes were flying and their winds were like blizzards. They represented endurance, physical health, and wisdom. The red sorrel horses were to the east with their eyes were like the morning star, which represented the pure light of the dawn, as well as the understanding that peace would come with it. The yellow orchard buckskin horses uh, to the south represented growth, innocence, and the promise of a renewed life. Black horses to the west were lightning in their manes and thunder in their nostrils. These ho horses to the west represented uh, difficulty, evil, and possibly destruction of the storm, yet also stood for a kind of physical, spiritual torment that could toughen someone. If you remember back to Crazy Horse's episode, he was a thunder dreamer, and if, like, subtly, and I didn't catch this at the time, all of his visions were coming from the West. He was kind of embracing the storm as it was coming. Um, so it was kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, they could a thunder dreamer could be a very powerful ally, or uh, could bring a lot of destruction. With all the horses scattered around Black Elk, he noticed quote great clouds of horses in all colored, and that appeared to be the medicine wheel that went out into infinity. The bay horse neighed, and then millions of these horses answered back. A horse then told Black Elk to make haste. And then Black took Black Elk to the teepee of a pitch below a rainbow gate. It led him to the home of the six grandfathers who directed all things and they were waiting for him. Now, each father, grandfather would give him gifts or advice to this young man. One grandfather showed Black Elk the two roads, the one red and the one black. The red road went north and south, which was the road of life. This is the road we all want to be on. The black road that ran east and west was that of ruin and fear. Now you'll notice going east-west, the west direction, obviously, towards the thunder. Black Elk believed, he was being told, he was going to lead his people through four generations going down each side of the road, north and south, and then east and west. The final grandfather whom Black Elk discovered, believed, recognized him. Years later, a much older Black Elk believed that it was actually himself talking to Black Elk as, as a young boy. The grandfather said, quote, My boy, have courage, for my power shall be yours and you shall need it, for your nation on earth will cause great trouble. Come. So wait, so in the when he was explaining his dream, uh, the one I read, he did talk about, you know, the old man de-aged into him. Do you think he just added that years later? Because he just, that's what he assumed? That's really tough to tell. I think you read the, you read the vision, like you read the dream or the vision. 
that's that is coming from someone who's not making that up on the fly to me. Like he had probably overthought, like had been thinking of this vision since the time. So I think this is going to be a cop out on it can be both whether he recognized it right away or the hundreds of times this went back through his head that he that he believed it was him. And especially he not like by the time he's telling the story is the 1930s is when this is getting written down. He is obviously an old man. I think in the back of his head, he's thinking like, yes, I, I think this one could have been me. Right. Like maybe and also like after years of probably telling a bunch of people the same story. It was me. Yeah. 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 It was definitely me. It was definitely me. Definitely me there. Um, I remember it exactly like that. Dreams, you know, are finicky. <laughs> right. Well, the, the uh, blackout claims he only told the story three times. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. And then also, I want to point out too, because uh, the Red Road, uh, but they in his dream, they also said he would travel on both. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, I, there's going to be hard times, basically. Yes. He was going to lead his. Pe- he was going to lead four generations of people down both sides of the road. Right. Okay. He's going to walk uphill, fifteen miles in the snow, both ways. <laughs> the sixth grandfather, the one that Black Elk believes is is him in elder in elderly form, uh, took a young Black Elk to Harney Peak, which was the highest point in the Black Hills and the center of the Sioux world, which does not come up at all during the dream. But when he talks about going to the highest point, that's who he's talking about. It is an actual location in the Black Hills of Harney Peak. The grandfather and the Sioux had climbed Harney Peak four times. Each ascent would be more difficult than the other, which he does talk about in his dream. The first ascent was very easy and green, and everyone was happy. The second was steeper, and his people changed into animals of the world, which filled everyone in fear. The third was excruciating, where each each creature went off alone in a different direction, and each followed his own small, complete vision. The sacred hoop, the unity that glued the Lakota together, was broken. The fourth ascent was the hardest. The buffalo would disappear, and Black Elk watched a man painted in red rolling a spear walked into the site. He rolled onto the ground, and he turned into a buffalo. He rolled again, and he turned into an herb that bloomed into four colors. Now, that herb people have been trying to find essentially since Black Elk has, has talked about this vision. They, uh, Michael Stoltenkamp found that there are two different versions of or two different possibilities neither of which he's not too confident on one is called uh, the dogwood which i'm showing matt here it basically has a bunch of red berries this is the herb that would that blackout would be given that he would pluck when he was 37 years old and he would give it to his people the other and i'll also post these uh in the show notes too so you can kind of see what i'm picking up it's just the wiki page so and i I have no idea the sourcing on a wiki page on an herb, so I don't know. Maybe it's completely wrong. Somebody else is definitely going to know more about this than I will. The other uh, is called uh, a red hood, or or sorry, a red rose and dogwood, which looks similar to this, which I believe most people think this is the herb that, that Black Elk had been given in his dream. 
Yeah, because you can see what, like, red, green, white. Yep. Somehow, maybe like, if it was fall, maybe it started to turn a little bit yellow. It looks like, it reminds me of, like, I know it's like a sea orchid, but, like, whatever, like, waves in the ocean, like, the little, I don't know, the thing that just sits there. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know, I know what you're talking about. Also, like, the picture I have here, it looks like there's eyes. Like, it looks like... Uh, I was going to say that. I thought that's what you were getting at. Like, it has, like, some googly eyes or something. <laughs> it looks really creepy. It looks like, I can't remember what Muppet it is, but it's, like, one of those horror Muppets where, like, the eyes are in the inside of its mouth. And it's, yeah, and it's like... Or like it's like like uh, someone threw acid on it, and you see all his like veins on the inside. So, <laughs> so anyway, I love I love people trying on their commute trying to like picture this in their head. Uh, there'll there'll be a there'll be a picture of it. Um, from what I can tell, and this is me strictly reading off of the uh, the wiki page, its uses are to uh, use for a waterway bank erosion protection and restoration in the United States. And it can be used to treat colds and to also slow bleeding. So there, there's that. There's, there's the dogwood. Black elk was then to take this herb and drop it to the earth where it landed and it could be take root, blossom, and then turn into the tree of life that embodied the heart and the health of his people. The tree of life would then rejuvenate the dying earth and save his people. As long as the sacred tree lived, even just the roots, there was still no, there was still hope, no matter how terrible things might become. Black Elk would later reflect, quote, I saw the sacred hoop of my people was one of many hoops that was in one circle. For the Sioux to survive, almost survive, even with the hated Waisichu, all must take their appointed place at the great medicine wheel. He then returned to his family, where Black Elk woke up. After 12 days, which I'm sure was just a, a pretty big shock. Going into the detail of his vision, as Matt said, that checks out. It's it's a long vision. There's a lot more detail. I do really hope people go back. If you did skip that episode, go back and listen to it. Because I think adding in that context really, like, it really adds into it. So, I mean, especially now since we kind of started talking about it. And then now that he's having the dream, quote unquote, in this episode, he can freaking... You can see, oh, here's his dream. Oh, now back to the episode. Yeah. After waking up, it took weeks for Black Elk to tell his vision to anyone. He ran it through his mind again and again, but he felt like he couldn't describe the vision to anyone the way that he should. He even kind of risked, he even kind of thought that people might think he was crazy. Remember, he's only nine years old. While Black Elk deals with his vision, his home starts to come down the inevitable road to the Battle of Little Bighorn. Custer, at this point, had just come out of the plains and had his attack on the Washita that sparked outrage on the plains. President Grant's peace policy takes hold, and Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse gain influence over the non-treaty Indians and Red Cloud, as Red Cloud provided, presided over the reservations. Black Elk and Crazy Horse, first cousins by blood, were never close, but uh, Crazy Horse soon takes notice and appears to take Black Elk under his wing, something that would be, well, very exciting for the soon-to-be teenage boy. Crazy Horse picked a turbulent time to turn into a mentor because it's now 1874 and George Custer just entered the Black Hills and found gold while the U.S. was in a deep economic depression 
and everyone was ready for any immediate action to take hold to get it out of it. One Bismarck, North Dakota newspaper was willing to start an Indian war and will do, and didn't think anything of it he, the, by saying, quote, an Indian war would do no harm for it must come sooner or later. When they're talking about we really need the gold that's in the Black Hills, if they're not going to give it to us, we're going to have to take it. You will later, you will also recall from our previous episodes that the U.S. tried to buy the Black Hills outright. Leaders such as Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse politely declined the offer. Though some Sioux leaders actually did put an offer on it, and I did forget about this if I didn't mention it in their episodes, but Red Cloud suggested $600 million. Holy cow, what's the inflation on that? <laughs> uh, a metric... S ton. <laughs> but when you think of it, um, when you think of the gold and like obviously rapids like the Black Hills of our major tourism site um, for South Dakota, eh, it probably was a much closer to a fair price than they probably realized. Now, Red Cloud threw out a number that was astronomical for the sake of doing it. Um, another chief named Spotted Bear named 70 million would suffice. Uh, the American negotiators probably just fell out of their chairs or just rolled their eyes. They offered $6 million, and after the Sioux turned that down, they put it into a bank account, and the Sioux started, and then started opening the Black Hills up for mining, regardless of the Sioux's uh, wishes. President Grant and, and his staff needed to ensure the safety of those mining, and after a couple attacks from the Crow and Sioux warriors on American settlers, Grant set a deadline, the famous dead, January deadline in January 1876, or for all tribes to come on the reservations, or they would be considered hostile. 12-year-old Black Elk and his family did not report and prepared for whatever fight was coming. The first fighting that Black Elk would take a part of was an attack on a wagon train. According to Joe Jackson, quote, Blackout seemed to step outside himself and realized he was rather small for his age, end quote. Self-doubt crept in and he popped and he prepped himself by saying, quote, I thought I should be a man anyway, and I made up my mind that as small as I was, I might as well die there. And if I did, maybe I'd be known, <laughs> which is not the best motivating uh, quote I've ever heard. <laughs> Nobody's putting that on a poster. <laughs> However, maybe I do. Maybe that's how I'm going to sign my emails. Maybe I thought I should be a man anyway. <laughs> yeah, try something new. That seems like such like a a Dwight Schrute quote to me. Like I thought I should be a man anyway. The war party left, and when they caught up with the wagon train, Black Elk would recall that when the YC choose again, who are the Americans, tasked with coming out of their wagons the native the warriors got in a big circle and started inside running inside of the oxen now there were two circles going around one smaller circle around the around the the wagon and then outside of that riders were running in the opposite direction which obviously threw more confusion going in and that's how they would attack he would recall we we rode around in circles in a wide circle and kept getting narrower there were sometimes to be two circles, one inside the other, going fast in opposite directions, which made it feel still harder for us. The cavalry of the Waisichu did not know how to fight. They kept together, and when they would come on you, they would, they would hardly miss. We kept apart in the circle. While we were riding around the wagons, we were hanging low outside of our ponies and shooting under their necks. 
he was no longer afraid. He felt that Black Elk now felt invincible. Despite the feeling, Black Elk doesn't know if any Americans were killed or not. And after a few circles of the Reagan, they're unable to do any real damage where the Sioux then fell back, which I don't know if anybody really caught that. They're shooting. They're riding the horse at full sprint in two concurrent circles going opposite directions. And in order to protect themselves from fire, they are leaning over their horse and shooting underneath their neck. And that's to prevent them from getting shot. Yes. I'm sure the horse really appreciated it, but yes, that's how they protected themselves. The thing is, though, so say I'm doing that, my horse gets hit. (laughs) That horse is falling on me. Yes. (laughs) So would I rather take a shot? Would I rather take an insta-shot kill or get crushed and, like, suffocate? Or, well, hopefully they, like, crush my rib cage and I just die instantly, but... I mean, I understand. It's like nowadays with cars and guns, right? Like uh, in shootouts in the movies, you always see them hide behind the cars to take bullets. Except these things are creatures. But I think we're, I think we're doing, I think we're pretty safe. I think I would rather hide <laughs> than, do you know how fast I would fall off even trying to do that? I've I never even kidding. ridden, I've never even ridden a horse, so I've had no clue. See, we used to raise horses. and like, Oh, really? Yeah, um, yeah, it was fun. Um, I don't think people realize, granted, they're riding bareback, but to get underneath to where you can shoot under their necks, that's a heck of a reach. <laughs> like, you're sitting on their back, and you have to... It's, and you have to aim, too, and pull the string. You're not even... Oh, my God, they're not even holding the string, or they're not even holding, like, onto the horse. They're, like, holding that's... onto their mane. They're, like, bear-hugging their mane with, like, underneath, like, it's almost like... Uh, a cheesy action movie like they're underneath and shooting it underneath the, the neck of the where world. it's like so it sounds so unbelievable you're like yeah when you see it in a movie yeah okay that could happen it did happen no this actually happened here now if you have if you can do that uh any listener out there that can do that please do it and send us a video <laughs> this was terrible legal advice by Matt. you want us to get to <laughs> hey that you're an adult you can make your own decisions i just asked for a request we promise if any viewers get severely injured do, or any listeners get severely injured doing this um we'll come up with a better story for you because listening to two two morons on a, on a podcast they told me to do it like we'll come up with a better story for you so anyway, there wasn't, like, Black Elk didn't know if he doubts he killed anyone. Doesn't sound like there was much damage at all. They ended up falling back. By March, by March 1876, uh, Sitting Bull called for the Sundance to be held in early June, and a collection of natives uh, that larger than anyone could have ever expected was now settling on on the greasy grass. The army wasn't far behind, wasn't far behind. Reno and Crook were in the area, and Black Elk wanted to head... Uh, wanted to head with his cousin Crazy Horse to fight Crook, but he was told to hold back. If you remember that in Crazy Horse's episode, there was actually a fight just before Little Bighorn where Crazy Horse circled the circled the warriors and then went out. Um, it looked like Crazy Horse was going to defeat Crook, but Crazy Horse had to fall back when he ran out of ammo. Were they in a gul- were they in like a valley? Was that the one where they were 
Um, yeah, a lot of them are kind of on ridges, but yes, the the natives had the high ground. I was going to say, I, I vaguely remember that one. I mean, it really looked like Crook was done. Like, I think everyone... Oh, in- that's right. And then they had, re- they had like, used everything. Yes. It fought... They fought all afternoon. And this is, like, three or four days before Little Bighorn. It's also unclear if Custer knew about it. I'm assuming he did. Over the next couple of days, there's a weary feeling that fell on the entire camp. Scouts had seen Custer's advance scout and feared an attack at any time. On January 25th, Black Elk would wake up early to take the horses out, but his father told him to keep the horses nearby at all times, just in case there was an attack. His father was right, but not right away. It was about 3 p.m. when Custer heard reports that the natives were on the run. Then he make his decision to split his, his men into three and then brought the fight to Native Americans. Black Elk is told to then go gather the horses as soon as they see the, the troops. When his father ran up to him and told him to catch his brother who had left his uh, left the fight but had forgotten his gun. Black Elk recalled, quote, My father came running and I said, Your brother is gone to the Hunk Pampas. Without his gun, catch him and give it to him and come right back to me. He had my six shooter, uh, he had my six shooter too. I took my guns and jumped on my pony and caught my brother. I could see a big dust rising just beyond the Hunk Papa camp, and all the Hunk Papas were running around and yelling, and many were running wet from the river. Then out of the dust came the soldiers on their big horses. My brother took his gun and yelled for me to go back, end quote. Realizing that now he was in the thick of the fight, Black Elk looked for cover and found some timber where he hid and recalled, quote, A good many Hunk Papa were already there, and the soldiers were shooting above us so that the leaves were falling from the trees. He could see the band of Hong Papa and a village scramble to either flee or join the fight. He believed a warrior named or a chief named Gaul started rallying the warriors for the suit fight. Blackout then stayed in the in the timber thinking about his vision. It made me feel stronger, and it was something that all my people were the thunder beings, and that the soldiers were about to be rubbed out. Then a cry came up from the dust. The famous Crazy horse is coming. Crazy horse is coming. And then a loud hoka hay came out through the crowd, through the tribes. Knowing that Crazy Horse was about to join the fight, it helped Black Elk remain calm. Remember, Black Elk is only 12, possibly 13 years old at this time. The soldiers were backed out into a brush when Black Elk was hiding and then started to flee. He weaved in and out of horses uh, that were going into, into the fight, and he saw the Americans running upstream, and the Lakota were now charging after. Black Elk now following the, the party. Hey, real quick, I want to back up a second, because um, I'm an idiot. Yep. When you said they were hanging off the horses, they were shooting guns. Yes. Why in my mind did I think they were shooting bow and arrows? Um, Because I never said. <laughs> So I, and you didn't correct me. I said, how are they doing it? They're not holding on to anything. I'm like, they got to take the arrow, knock it, use the other hand, pull the drawstring back. You know, in my mind, I always pictured them with pistols and never, if if someone could do that with a bow and arrow, that would be amazing. That's what I was saying. How are they doing it? It but seems no, they're, they're using guns. <laughs> the one thing I would like to point out is uh, if you remember back in Crazy Horse, I got irrationally upset that everyone says crazy horse is coming and then 
don't tell us what he did. <laughs> like they just, yeah, he's coming. He was a brave fighter. Any details? Any like good stories? Like did he just slay Custer himself, like barehanded? But no, he he just fought. He was very brave. Like I just, I would love some detail. And I thought I was gonna get it here, and I was ready to like be excited. And then they say, "Crazy horse is coming." That inspired me. And then they move on. So not that I'm still bitter about that, but if anyone knows, <laughs> that would be great. Anyway, random, random tangent. Sorry. I'd say it won't happen again, but it, it probably will. So Black Elk is now charging with his brother, which remember his father said to come right back. So he's already kind of breaking uh, his father's rules. Black Elk would then remember, quote, there were so many ahead of me and it was all dark and mixed up. Soon all the soldiers were crowded in the river. End quote. Black Elk recalled that the fighting in the water made sounds like a large hailstorm, but once the fighting stopped, the dead were or dying laid in anguish. The Lakota were stripping dead soldiers and putting their clothes on themselves. One soldier was, quote, on the ground and he was still kicking, end quote, when, one, when a warrior told Black Elk to go scalp the man. When he attempted, the man was still conscious. He was still alive. But the dying man was gritting his teeth, and the young boy attempted to take a scalp. When he failed the first time, Black Elk, feeling bad for the human, uh, well, shot him in the head so that he could successfully take the scalp. As the warriors rode off to continue the fight, Black Elk wanted to show his mother his first war prize. He rode over towards the hill, where then a large crowd of women to, to a large crowd of women and children. When he got to the women of the hill, they then sang and made a loud tremolo to cheer the men fighting across the river uh, in a dust, a cloud of dust over on the hill. When he got back to his mother, Black Elk, uh, Black Elk's mother gave him a big tremolo for him, and she soon saw when she soon saw his first scalp. He quote, "I stayed there a while with my mother and watched a big dust whirling in the, in the hills across the river and the horses coming out of it with empty saddles." The fight was, or end quote, the fight was now essentially over, and the group believed it was safe enough to come closer, the young boys running farther ahead of their mothers to go get a better look. When they reached the soldiers, most of them were dead, but a few who weren't uh, were soon killed by arrows of young Lakota boys, including Black Elk, who were riding around just hitting them as they saw them kick. The rest of the bodies were looted, Black Elk himself taking a pocket watch and a coat from a soldier, and I believe even a ring. He saw a soldier who was raising his arms and groaning, and shot an arrow in his forehead to end the man's life. Looking at the aftermath, Black Elk said, quote, I could smell nothing but blood, and got so sick I went back home to the others. I was not sorry at all, for I was happy. Those Waisichus had come to kill our mothers and fathers and us, and it was our country. End quote. I don't want to say cultural differences, but if I ever brought my mom a scalp. <laughs> yeah. Here you go, mom. And then to have that met with like celebration. Now I get it. How sharp is the arrow to go through someone's forehead? Well, there's a lot of force in that bow, but yes, they're very, they're sharp. But as far as a 12 year old boy, that's, it's braver than I would have been. <laughs> like, I don't think I would have ran into like, Un, like he had his six shooter, but he's essentially following the bet. Like he's following Reno's men. If I didn't say that following him up a stream, basically until the end of the river. Um, 
there is a map that I'm showing right now, and it shows like it's it's a good like five mile trap that he is that they are charging uh, throughout the afternoon, and he's he's not far from the action at all. In the aftermath, a little big horn. There is a hard the the tribe spends a hard winter running the Americans. They hear word that the Black Hills were sold, and they were felt betrayed by Chief Red Cloud and the Treaty Indians. After fighting off the blizzards and freezing condition, Black Elk remembers seeing Chief Spotted Tail, who had traveled to have uh, a family member come on the reservation to surrender. Black Elk was not a fan of Spotted Tail, and in fact thought he was uh, selling out his people. Black Elk recalled that he didn't like him when he first saw him. Quote, he was fat with Wasichu food, and we learned, and here we were learned from famine. We could not understand this, and I thought about it too much. How could men get fat by being bad and starve by being good? End quote. The thought haunts him long enough that he starts doubting his vision and wonders if it had been a dream after all. Even after the hardship, the Black Elks do not move on to the reservation. Instead, they are one of the few families to stay with Crazy Horse outside of Fort Robertson. Since they were family, Black Elk had a lot of insight on Crazy Horse's final days. While he has always been a recluse, he's now talking uh, and taking it to the next level. Uh, Crazy Horse himself being a recluse. Crazy Horse was more somber, even defeated. There was a sense of fatality in his tone. One night, the Lakota shirt wearer said that he would leave the hopes of finding a, that he was leaving in the hopes of finding a vision where the spirits entered and they would return. When asked by Black Elk's father, asked if he should follow and then challenge that crazy horse, challenge crazy horse's uh, thoughts on why he was leaving when the Lakota needed him the most. Crazy horse has said, this country is ours and I am doing this. And then and underneath his breath, he believed to have said, all is lost anyway. After months of hunting down the Lakota, uh, Crook would make his his terms of surrender known. There would be no punishment for Little Bighorn if the Lakota came in and they would divide up their horses, but all Lakota had to give up their guns. And if you remember, this was a big deal for Crazy Horse. He did not want to give up his guns at all. Crazy Horse brokenheartedly agreed, though, and in May 1876, they head to Fort Robinson. The Black Elks and Crazy Horse lived on Cottonwood Creek, not just as we talked in Crazy Horse's episode. While adjusting to reservation life, the Nez Perce escape. So if you remember from Chief Joseph's episodes, all of that is now starting to happen. The Americans think the best, one of the solutions to catch them, if uh, Oliver Otis Howard isn't able to catch them, is to have the Sioux uh, head them off. They first ask Crazy Horse if he's the one willing to do it. And Crazy Horse essentially says, no, I won't. Under no circumstances am I going to do that. It was a tense meeting, uh, one that Crook would not necessarily forget. Um, An irritated Crazy Horse said that his people had come to the reservation because they were sick of war and the Americans were too soft to to catch the Nez Perce. Why would he help the Lakota? (laughs) Or why would the Lakota help the Americans? which had to sting a little bit. The rumors that Crazy Horse was angry enough to kill, to kill George Crook popped up, and when the next next time the two met, Crazy Horse was to give a signal by shaking Crook's hand firmly, and then his men would kill Crook. 
It was then determined by historians that this was most likely a lie and that was just straight up made up. But George Crook didn't know that, so he had to live under under the pretenses of that. On the day that Crazy Horse would be murdered, the Black Elks were part of the large crowd, but were far back enough, but uh, were far back enough that they couldn't see in detail what would happen, at least initially. Black Elk does start making his way through the crowd when it becomes uh, when the crowd starts to become agitated. When it becomes clear that Crazy Horse was about to be arrested, he puts up a protest and refuses to go, and when Crazy Horse starts to fight back. A teenage Black Elk then did push enough through the crowd at this point and was close enough to hear Crazy Horse struggling and saw the moment when Crazy Horse was stabbed by Little Big Man in the bayonet out, uh, and the near and the fight, a uh, near fight that erupted, that almost erupted after. Uh, from there, it not a lot is written down about what Black Elk did. His family was obviously there with Crazy Horse, who took a couple of days to die. Um, but they didn't share a tremendous amount of it. They weren't there, or Black Elk was not there the night Crazy Horse died. But when they heard the news, they mourned just as long as the rest of Lakota. But they do remember there was a small ceremony as Crazy Horse's coffin was being pulled away by a pony drag to be buried. With Crazy Horse dead, the Black Elks uh, look towards Sitting Bull in Canada very briefly because they think now that Crazy Horse is dead, the Americans are really going to think, uh, going to seek out vengeance. They aren't the only ones. As the American armor started, as the American army started taking away Lakota horses, an estimated three thousand others made their way, their walk. But ultimately, the Black Elks return less than a year after uh, in Canada because the land was not, was barren. There was no way for this many people to live off the land. So when the Sioux, when Black Elk comes back from the reservation and they're settling into their new lives, Black Elk really starts having his, like the voices that he had going into his vision when he was nine years old. What we haven't really talked about since the start of the episode is that he comes from a long list of healers and medicine men. Now, just because his family is from a list uh, a lineage of bear healers does not necessarily mean he is going to be. But what is clear, he's had a couple years to reflect his vision, and now he's starting to like piece things together that maybe the first generation of uh, like the good, like the North and the South Road, that maybe they're starting to come to that. And in order for that to be true, for him to eventually save his people, he needs to do something about it, or he needs to come out public about that. A way for that to happen is something uh, that comes in through the horse that comes in through the horse dance. The horse dance essentially is a very interpretive ceremony. So what Black Elk is going to do, he's going to find a man who is going to basically bring his vision to life. So it will depend on whatever vision that this uh, person who wants to go through the horse and you have to have had a legitimate vision and somebody has to agree to bring it to life for you or to like to hold the ceremony for you. So Crazy Horse sits down with an elder and he tells him of his vision in great detail. I believe this is the second time he has ever told his vision. Um, once to his father, but not nearly in this amount of detail. So, according to Joe Jackson, 
The horse dance would come with expectations very similar to a blockbuster movie. Black Elk would would teach uh, the elder the song that he heard in his vision, and Matt did a wonderful rendition when he was reading it himself. He would teach him all of the songs. He would go into the minute details, and they would bring it back. Outside Black Elk's parents gathered 16 horses plus a bay horse for Black Elk, the same that he had ridden in his vision. Then the four then they gathered four virgin women who were given gifts for those who would come for those who were ill to bring to Black Elk in hopes of healing them. They then also had to recruit six grandfathers. The morning so then uh, they kind of get everything set up. They tell Black Elk he needs to fast for four days. Which sounds absolutely horrible. That means no water or food, correct? No water, no food. Uh, And Black Elk would talk about how the first day wasn't too bad. The second day, he basically got real hangry. The third day, he basically slept most of the day. And the fourth, he was just very weak. But on this fourth day, that's when they're going to do the dance. The morning of the ceremony, messengers were sent out. And they were telling people around all uh, the camp all day to come to Black Elk's Lodge. The women were gathered, the grandfathers, and 16 horses faced the teepee. Black Elk was painted entirely red with black lightning around his limbs, similar to that in his vision. He was then given a black mask and a single eagle feather to wear. Black Elk stayed in his teepee alone and fasted all day. But off in the distance in the west... Their storm clouds had gathered. It was evening, and the tension was building. The riders sang song from Black Elk's vision. The grandfathers drew the medicine wheel on the ground inside the teepee, and then Black Elk emerged. Black Elk and the four women entered the teepee to confront the grandfathers. The four girls lifted their hands. Black Elk carried a red-painted stick, which represented the sacred arrow or the spear that was given to him by the sixth grandfather in his vision. A ritual dance was performed, and then they left their teepee. The grandfathers sang the sacred songs, and the girls performed on the drums. Black Elk mounted his bay horse, and everyone faced towards the thunderstorm that was now coming. The village watched and began to sing to the participants, and everyone looked towards the thunderstorm, which was now coming closer and closer, even with some hail. And then silence fell. Black Elk did something that was not planned. He held out his hand and cried four times. The storm flashed, lightning. The birds above rode and started dancing in a circle to then flew away in from the storm. Villagers ran to tie down their teepee. Blackout cried to the storm. I, myself, made them fear. I, myself, made them fear. Like an omen, the storm stopped just short of the village. They received a light sprinkling and a cool breeze. The 16 riders of the horse continued riding in a circle until finally the entire camp was dancing again, singing Black Elk's words. Black Elk, who had feared the thunder, now said it now felt like family. Interesting. He got over it. (laughs) Which is pretty awesome for him. He's basically saying he stopped the storm from coming. (laughs) 
He held out his hand, said, I myself made them fear. And Not today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, if it happened, and we can all be skeptical here, that's okay. If that happened, that's pretty awesome. Like, that is Mother Nature being like, you know what? You can have this one. Go ahead. So, outside of that, you're looking at... If you take it as Joe Jackson's like movie uh, comparison, um, Black Elk did well. He held off a storm. He had performed his ritual. He had made his vision come to life. He is now like now basically the gods are ready for him to be a healer or like they're more accepting. He's not quite there yet. He's going to start kind of starting his training, if that makes any sense. Um, but he's now kind of has a better career path than he's had before and i think with that for today we have covered a lot like a lot a lot so i think uh that's going to be it for the first part the second part we still have uh 75 percent of his life yet <laughs> so we've uh we've covered a lot but we've only covered only about 17 years so he lives to be quite an old man, spoiler alert. So I think with that, we're, we're going to say goodbye. Until next time. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. Bye.